One might say that this great assembly has been blessed with the opportunity to be together, practicing wholeheartedly, contemplating and enacting the joyful practice of bodhisattvas in the world of suffering. And now this blessed time together is coming to completion. And some of us will leave and go to other parts of the world. Mindful of transience, may we pursue the path of the Bodhisattva with diligence and care. It has been proposed that the practice of bodhisattvas is intimate transmission. The practice of bodhisattvas is a holy communion among all beings. But the Bodhisattva practice of just sitting is intimate transmission. It is the mind of the sage of India. And it has been transmitted and will always be transmitted among us. As you know, we've also considered the vows and practice of the great Bodhisattva, Samantabhadra, as they appear in the Flower Dormant Scripture. The great Bodhisattva vows, vows to practice ten practices Samantabhadra's sitting practice is to pay homage to all Buddhas, to praise the virtues of all Buddhas, to make offerings to all Buddhas. to reveal and disclose any shortcomings in the practice, any shortcomings in our homage to awakening, any shortcomings in our practice of praise of the Bodhisattva path, any shortcomings in our practice of making offerings to all Buddhas. This acknowledgement and regret 
for our shortcomings is the fourth practice, that Samantabhadra, Bodhisattva, vows to take of, engage in, and practice moment by moment. And for every vow, the Bodhisattva says, I will continue this practice until I come to the end of all beings. But since there's no end to beings, there will be no end to the practice. And the fifth practice is to rejoice in the virtues of Buddhas and sentient beings. The sixth practice is to request (coughs) Buddhas to turn the wheel of Dharma. I don't know if we have, in this great assembly, actually requested the Buddhas to turn the wheel of Dharma. Have we? Some people say no, and one person's enough. (laughs) So let us, let us now, I would suggest something like, all great Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, Please turn the wheel of Dharma. three times. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, please turn the wheel of Dharma. Oh, great Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, please turn the wheel of Dharma. And as has been mentioned earlier, they're already turning the will of Dharma. There's no time when they don't. And yet, if we don't request them to do so, we are not fully res- responsible for the turning. <coughs> we need to ask. Even though they turn it, we need to ask. And we did. And The next one, which is number seven, the next practice of Samantabhadra, Bodhisattva, is to request the Buddhas to remain in the world. Our precious abbess gave me a copy of the fascicle by Dogen Zenji, called Making Offerings to All Buddhas. And in that, at the beginning of that fascicle, he says, clearly know 
that Buddhas are always present in the past, in the present, and the future. Even so, Samantabhadra requests them to remain in the world. So these, these, these practices are asking a being, a great being, to do what they're doing. So please turn the wheel of Dharma. You're turning the wheel of Dharma. Please turn the wheel of Dharma. You're remaining in the world. Please remain in the world. Are you ready to request the Buddhas to remain in the world? Yes. Well, here we go. <laughs> oh. practice that Samantabhadra vows to engage with, the eighth practice that, that Samantabhadra vows to be intimate with, is to engage in all the practices that Buddhists have practiced. Of course, these practices are infinite, but we can sort of give a summary of them eight categories, excuse me, six categories. Generosity, ethical discipline, patience, joyous effort, concentration, and wisdom. So the wholehearted practice of Samantapadra engages these six practices which include all practices. And again, we engage in these practices in order to attune to reality. We do these practices not to get anything, not even to get attunement. We just do them as attunement, attunement to reality. And what is reality? Reality is the mind of Buddha. And what is the mind of Buddha? It is intimate transmission. And what is the wholehearted practice of bodhisattvas? It is intimate transmission. So we practice generosity to attune to the intimate transmission which is the reality of our life. And again, we practice this attunement of generosity with no attempt to get anything. We do all these practices without trying to get anything. We do them as gifts. And so on. We practice ethical discipline 
to attune to the way we really are. The way I really am is I am a particular example right now of intimate transmission. I am and you are a particular example of intimate transmission. You are a particular example of the whole universe, calling to the whole universe and responding to the whole universe in the form of you. And you always will be that way and always have been. However, if we do not practice attuning to it, we can be out of tune. When we are out of tune, we are still at that moment of being out of tune. We are a person who's out of tune, who is a particular manifestation of intimate transmission, which they are out of tune with. And being out of tune, it's like, it's, it can be like there's no intimate transmission. And no intimate transmission is called suffering. But intimate transmission is peace and freedom. It is the mind of Buddha. So all these bodhisattva practices are ways to attune to the reality of Holy Communion among all Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, and all sentient beings. The ninth practice of Bodhisattvas is described as accommodating, uh, adapting, empathizing, according, harmonizing, being of service to all living beings. At the beginning, we were offering service to the Buddha. Homage, praise, offerings. Now we, now we make ourselves a gift, a servant to all living beings. That's the ninth practice which the Bodhisattva Samantabhadra vows to engage in moment after moment in every action of body, speech, and mind, and not stopping until there's an end of beings. This ninth practice, I think, is quite familiar to Bodhisattvas in, in Texas. <laughs> you're, you're quite familiar with the practice of being of service to, to all beings, right? You're quite familiar with the idea of being generous with everyone, being patient with everyone, being careful and respectful and gentle with all beings. You're familiar with that practice, right? I mean, you've heard about it, haven't you? <laughs> and that practice, I think, to many people does not sound strange. Requesting Buddhas to turn the wheel of Dharma, that may be a little unusual. Making offerings to all Buddhas in every moment. People must be familiar with that Bodhisattva practice, right? 
So why, why don't we just go to number nine? Because that's so familiar and wonderful. Well, because number nine, sometimes people have a little difficulty with it. <laughs> For example, when it comes to listening to people with generosity and patience, some people do just you know don't want to listen to somebody. When it comes to respecting somebody, some people have trouble respecting certain people. I'm not going to men mention anybody, <laughs> but when we come to the practice of being of service to all beings, people say, yeah, but not, not so-and-so. <laughs> I don't respect that cruel, selfish, mean person. I don't respect them. I do not feel generous towards them, and I don't want to give them my life. If I hear that from somebody, I say, I hear you. And then I say, I see that you cannot practice compassion towards so-and-so. And then they say, yeah, that's right. I just cannot practice compassion towards so-and-so. And there are certain so-and-sos which at given time in history, you know, more people are thinking about and more people are having trouble being compassionate with. And I won't mention anybody's names now either. <laughs> I won't mention the names of people who, that people bring up as I can't do it with that person. But I will mention that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it was a different name that they wouldn't be kind to. So right now, there's certain names that are very well known that people are not going to be compassionate to. I'm tempted to say some names. I'll just say a few. Two of them. One is, I'm okay with practicing compassion, but not towards Democrats. Or I'm okay with practicing compassion for all these <laughs> I've heard that. People, they want to practice compassion, but not because <coughs> Democrats or Republicans. Forget it. <laughs> so anyway, their, their, pra their practice, uh, and when they say that to me, they are confessing. They are revealing a lack in their practice of generosity, ethical discipline, and patience. They're confessing it. And when they do that, I say, it's really good that you're confessing this. And they may also be kind of embarrassed that they do not want to practice compassion towards certain beings. And this is a pure and simple color of true practice, this confession of our unwillingness to serve some beings. So when we get into... Number nine, and we don't want to practice number nine, then we go back to number four. <laughs> and, back, and go then back from number four to number nine. But also, the previous, before number nine, all the previous practices, the previous eight, they get us warmed up for the difficult practice of serving every single living being with respect and gentleness 
and tenderness and generosity and honesty and so on. For example, some people have trouble in the past. Some people have had trouble being kind to so-and-so. There's stories like that in India, in China, in Tibet, in Korea, in Southeast Asia, of people who wanted to practice compassion to all beings and weren't able to practice compassion towards some beings. Almost everybody can practice compassion towards somebody. But we're talking about bodhisattva practice, which is everybody. And again, through the history of Buddhism, there's many stories about people who wanted to make exceptions to the policy of compassion. <laughs> and then their teacher, if, 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 they want, if they're willing to be near their teacher when they didn't want to practice, uh, and they tell their teacher that they don't want to practice compassion towards so-and-so, the teacher might say, well, maybe it'd be good for you to uh, pay homage to all Buddhas. You know, that might help you open up to being compassionate to that person you do not want to be compassionate with. <laughs> and one of the ways to pay homage is to say with your, with your mouth and, and your lips and your teeth and your tongue and your jaw, to say homage to all Buddhas. And, you, and, then, and then now are you ready to be compassionate to this, this being that you do not want to? No, well, say it again. <laughs> another way to, and also, and also another way to practice pay homage is to uh, think. So thinking of Amish to all Buddhas, saying Amish to all Buddhas, and, uh, and then physically prostrating to all Buddhas. So with body, speech, and mind, pay homage to all Buddhas. If once is enough, great. In other words, if once enough is, is once one is enough to open yourselves, to give yourselves to another being in order to help that being become free. Good. But it, in the stories, most of the stories, it took more than one. For these people who didn't want to practice compassion towards so-and-so, it took more than two. It took more than three. Usually it took hundreds and hundreds for them to open their heart to be compassionate towards some person. <laughs> if that's not enough, well then go on to, in addition to that, praise the, the virtues. And if that's not enough, then go on to make offerings. These practices, the first eight, are ways to open your heart to all beings with great compassion and harmonized and attuned to great compassion.
And again, if you have control, it really helps to notice and to acknowledge I'm having trouble. I'm having trouble. Be patient and careful and respectful and gentle and generous with somebody. Also, I forgot to mention that another person that people often have trouble with, and I'm not going to mention the name there either, is themselves. I, I can be compassionate with almost everybody, but not me. So all of our own suffering, it also deserves this great loving kindness and compassion. And if you don't want to give it to yourself, confess it, and then the teacher says, maybe you could practice, Samantha Padre says, maybe if you practice homage to Buddhas, you'll be able to to your own suffering. Listen with ears and eyes, ears of compassion. Observe your own suffering with eyes of compassion. Wholeheartedly. And the tenth practice that Samantha vows to enter, be intimate with, is to dedicate the merit of all these practices to the awakening, the liberation, and the peace of all beings. And when Samantapadra sits in meditation, Samantapadra meditates on these practices, and Samantapadra gives herself to these practices. And this is Samantapadra's wholehearted sitting. And in this wholehearted sitting, body-mind drop away. And when body-mind drops away, the bodies and minds of all beings drop away together with the practitioner. Today we don't have too much time before we're scheduled to stop this event. So perhaps that's enough. Or maybe I just mention one more thing, and that is a story which I told somebody yesterday. Do we have time for a story? Yes, of course. We do? Yes. Okay. How many stories do you have time for? <laughs> Please tell all the stories. <laughs> so, once upon a time, somebody who uh, somebody came to me, somebody who was very kind to me, and still kind to me, 
came to me and told me that he was getting married to another person. And, um, and I knew this person. And she also asked me, told me that she was getting married. And they both asked me to perform a wedding ceremony for them. I think this was about 30 years ago that this happened. I'm not sure. It might have been 100. <laughs> By the way, I'm happy to see you all. And um, it's been a while since I saw you before. But it seems like yesterday, the last time I saw you. So they asked me to do it, and then, and then and I performed it. And maybe even, I don't know, yeah. And I performed it. And then later, after they were married for quite a long time, one, I think the man said to me, it was, a, it was a male, female kind of marriage. The man said to me, you don't know how much you help people. And I thought, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I do not know. I do not know. I don't know even if I help people. So it's not so much that I help people, but what I am, what I am, is nothing but helping people. And what you are, in reality, you are nothing but helping people. That's what you really are. You, it's not that you're a person who helps people. You are, you are the helping of people. That's the reality of your life. You're helping everybody. And also, everybody's helping you. Still, if somebody tells me, even though I have faith that what I am is the helping of people, I don't know how. And I might think, I am helping people. I am people helping me. That's what I am. I am all of you helping me. I'm nothing but that. I'm nothing but all of you helping me. I have confidence in that. And I try to remember that's what I have confidence in. I'm nothing. I, I have no life other than being helped by all of you to be alive. And also, you have no life other than me helping you and everybody else helping you. That's my faith. And this person comes to me and says, you don't know how you're helping people. And I go, mm -hmm, I know. I don't know how. <laughs> so that subtle, that subtle, that subtle uh, difference between I help people and I am the helping of people. See the slight difference? I don't help. It's not like I help you. It's that what I am is you and I helping. But I don't know how that works. And nobody does. 
Why well, nobody knows, but some people think they know. <laughs> and my friend thought he knew how I was helping people. <laughs> and after he told me I didn't know how I was helping people, which is right, and he's going to tell me how I do help people. Because <laughs> he knew. <laughs> get the picture? You're, you're, you're la usually when you're laughing, you get the picture. <laughs> and you got it again. <laughs> May I have some water? If it's any water around here. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Heavy, heavy, heavy. <laughs> it's a burden. <laughs> more people laughing, more people getting it. <laughs> it's a burden. <laughs> and it's a burden I cannot be free of. But I can freely be burdened. So again, my friend said to me, you don't know how you help people. And he didn't, I don't think he said, I'm going to tell you how you do. But anyway, he might have said, you don't know how you help people, but I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story about how you help people. So there are stories about helping people. So I'm living someplace, you know, like I'm living in a temple in a green valley by the ocean. And my friend's some other place in the universe. And I don't know where he is or what he's doing. But he's going to tell me how when I wasn't in, in the neighborhood, I wasn't around. I was helping him. He's going to tell me a story about that. Are you following me? I'm here in the world. <laughs> He's there. I can't see him. I'm doing, I'm practicing. And, he, and then he comes, but then and something happens. And he's going to tell me what happened when I wasn't around. So I, and how I helped. How I helped when I wasn't even there. He thinks, my friend thinks, that People can help other people when they're not even around. Of course, you can also help when you are around. <laughs> but even when we're together, still, if you tell me when we're together, you could say to me, you do not know how you help me. And I go, right. <laughs> Don't know. So he tells me a story about when I was not around, he and his fiance went to a jeweler's store. Do you know this story? No, I don't. <laughs> does anybody know this story? Some one person does. I told it to her. <laughs> By the way, are you her? I, I told the story because this person wants to know about helping people. So then he tells me that he went to a jeweler store with his fiance, and um, the jeweler was not being kind to them. And I'm going to call them later and try to find out 
in what way, I can't remember exactly how he wasn't kind, but I think he just, he was like, not gentle, not respectful, not generous, as in giving him a good price. <laughs> kind of, this jeweler was kind of a mean jeweler. <laughs> <laughs> the, ju the jeweler was not practicing generosity with them was not practicing ethical discipline and maybe not patience anyway they were unhappy with this jeweler and then one of them it came to them I'm not saying I made it come to them I'm not saying that Somebody could say, and you made them notice, <laughs> Reb made them notice that there were some Buddha statues in the jewelry store. And so one of them said to the jeweler, oh, you have Buddhas in the store. Are you a Buddhist? And he said, yes, I am. And they said, oh, <laughs> uh, do you have a teacher? And they said, and he said, yes. And they said, oh, who's your teacher? And the jeweler said, Red Anderson. <laughs> Santa Claus has come. And then my friend, and then, and then the jeweler got, became really friendly. <laughs> oh, no, no, excuse me. And then they said to the jeweler, oh, he's performing our wedding ceremony. He's the one who's going to give us the rings. <laughs> <laughs> Which we were thinking of buying here. generous with them and it was a had a happy ending and then sometime later <coughs> my friend comes to me and tells me the story and I think my friend thinks that this is how I'm helping him <laughs> and the jeweler and I'm not saying that's not true I'm not saying that's not true <coughs> because everything that happens is me helping people and you helping people. He didn't say, and this is how everybody's helping us. He just, he put it all on me. <laughs> it's not all on me. And even after he told me, I still thought, I didn't argue with him, I still thought, I don't know how I help people. But that's a nice story, isn't it? <laughs> There's some more. But again, because time is becoming concentrated, maybe that's enough stories. <laughs> so we, we, we want our practice here in this room. We want 
our practice here in this room to help beings everywhere. That's the bodhisattva. Wish, that's the bodhisattva. Vow is to do a practice which helps this person and the people right here and everybody. But how that works does not appear within human perception. It is an unconstructed intimacy which liberates all beings, this intimacy. We are immersed in it. It is what we are. We don't know how it works. Still, we can be devoted to something. We don't know how it works. We can be devoted to the Bodhisattva vow, even though we don't know how it works, which we also discussed earlier. In the same scripture where Samantabhadra makes these vows, there's this young Bodhisattva who he's guiding through the path, who goes to 53 teachers and says, I want to practice the Bodhisattva path. I want to be helpful to all beings, but I don't know how. And he keeps wanting to do it. And he keeps getting instruction. So, <laughs> yeah. So Gail respectfully requested another story, but I'm sorry but that the story that came to my mind, I told you yesterday. <laughs> I sh I'm not going to tell the same story again. And if you like. Well, no, it's if you want. Do you want me to tell the same story again? This is a story about helping. Uh, so, once upon a time there was a Zen monastery and uh, the, one of the monks came to the teacher and said, some of our bowls, our eating bowls are disappearing. And the teacher listened to that. And I think, I imagine the teacher was intimate with this information and the person who reported this. And then a little bit later, a monk came to the teacher and said, we've discovered many bowls in the rooms of one of the monks. Then, teacher said, the monks together and asked them to all take their bowls and put it in the room where the other bowls were. This is an example of, it's a story about helping someone. But how does that help people? I don't know. But I think it looks like generosity. It looks like patience. It looks like respect. It looks like you know, yeah, it looks, it, it looks like a gentle way to teach <clears throat> by putting all the bowls in the room where the stolen bowls were. To teach who? To teach the bowls? <laughs> to teach the person whose room it was? To teach all the monks who brought their bowls? To teach the teacher, it's to teach everybody. 
But how does that work? There's a story about it. And so someone might say, please investigate this story. The way we help people, which is the way we are. Study these stories and discover who we are. And so, if anybody wants to make any parting uh, offerings, they could do so. I think it could be done. And I don't know how to do it. One way to do it would be to move that over there. Another way to do it would be to move it over here. But I don't know which is best. Any uh, advice about where people who want to make offerings to Buddha would go? Anybody here who wants to make an offering to Buddha? Anybody who wants to make pay homage to Buddha? Yeah, so we could have a bowl play. I just did. Huh? I pay homage to Buddha. You do? I don't want to get up there. Oh, you don't? No. Okay. All right, so maybe I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so anybody want to make an offering to Buddha can either not move or move. You want to move or not move? Pardon? I will move. You already moved. <laughs> do, you, <laughs> do you want to make an offering to Buddha? Yes. What offering do you wish to make? Uh, I have a question or comment. You have a question or comment? Part of the problem of people not moving is that I can't hear them. So thank you for coming to make an offer to Buddha. Is, is, is this a comment? Is this offering? Is this gift a comment? Uh, let me give a question at that. Okay. Is that, can you hear him? Yes. Good for you. <laughs> uh, Reb, I still feel like um, being kind to other people feels like effort for me. I feel like, um, yeah, I find that it still doesn't feel natural and forthcoming to be kind and generous to other people. And Did you say that you find being kind to people is an effort? Yes. Doesn't feel natural sometimes? That's correct. And what else? What are the other difficulties? Um, that's the main one, and there's also a feeling of shame that's associated with that. Shame of what? That I'm not able to be kind to people more easily. Yeah, so um, you just made an offering. Was that, uh, an, was that an effort? Yes. Um, did it feel natural? Um, it did feel natural. Still. Um, do you feel ashamed? No. No. So, but you, did you just do something to be kind? Uh, is this an act of kindness? Yeah. Generosity. You just gave a gift. Mm. You made offerings to Buddha, and it was not too difficult. Correct. But sometimes when you try to make offerings to Buddha, it's difficult. That's right. Uh, 
But do you think that making offerings to Buddhas is what do you call it? Joyful? Sometimes it can be joyful. Sometimes it is. Do you think you can do something that's really hard and feel joy? Yes. Okay. Do you think you can do something unnatural and feel joy? Um, I don't know. You don't know? I don't know either. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think you can do something unnatural? Something you feel awkward about? Do you ever feel awkward when you're trying to do something for somebody? Yes. Is that kind of uncomfortable? Do you think you can be uncomfortable and awkward and be joyful? I do think that is possible. Yeah, that's right. It is possible. (laughs) So one of the practices of Samantabhadra is when awkward, when unnatural, when having a hard time, make that an offering to Buddha. Make that paying homage. Or let that be an occasion for homage. There's always a thought that arises that there's a better offering I could make if I were not awkward. Yeah, right. So at the moment that the thought arises in your mind, it could arise in my mind too. You, 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 you told us that it arises in yours, right? It could arise in mine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what, what do I want to do with it when it arises in mine? Mm-hmm. What do I want to do when that thought, there could be a better offering than this? What do I want to do? How do I want to practice with that? I want to be compassionate to the thought in my mind mm-hmm. that I could make a better offering, for example, than what I'm saying to you right now. Mm. I could have that thought. Mm. And when I <laughs> when I make this thought that I could that I can make a better offering, when I make that my offering, there is joy in making this kind of below average offering. <laughs> <laughs> and when I have a hard time talking to you or other people. Or when I have a hard time dealing with feeling insulted or disrespected, how do I want to practice with that feeling of being insulted? Making that to an offering as well? Yes, make the feeling of being insulted an offering to all Buddhas. How yes. Would look like concrete? How would that look like concretely? Concretely? <laughs> yeah. It would be like, okay, here I am. Concretely. <laughs> Do I look pretty concrete? So I'm a, con- I'm a concrete being, right? And I have a concrete feeling of what? Being insulted and disrespected. And I might have a, also a feeling of feeling kind of uncomfortable mm-hmm. or even a lot of pain because I'm, I'm a concrete <laughs> being who feels disrespected, okay? Is this concrete enough for you? Okay, so what do I do with this, all this concrete? 
build a skyscraper? <laughs> build a skyscraper for Buddha. <laughs> I make this concrete mass of discomfort into a gift for Buddha. I fill the room of the thief with bowls, you know. Concretely, I actually want to, I want what I am to be a gift to all Buddhas. I want what I am to be a gift to all beings. I, and I have a concrete thing to give every moment, including all my discomfort. So I have concrete thing to give. I have a concrete difficulty giving it. But that's not the practice. That's what I give. I give me. And if you want to put any more difficulties into the concrete, put them in. And then that will be included in the gift. And whatever I am is all I have to, all I have available for the practice. Whatever I'm going through is what I have available for the practice of intimate transmission with all Buddhas. Not what I'm going to have later, but later I'll have something too. But right now I have this. Which is, I don't feel generous. I'm feeling awkward. It seems hard. Concretely, this is what I give. There's a story from my childhood. I don't know, some of you may know it. It go, uh, <laughs> it's about various angels making offerings to Buddha actually to God, but anyway, various, various bodhisattvas are making offerings to Buddha, but it was angels, right? And these big, tall angels, you know, skyscraper angels, they brought these amazing, gorgeous, precious offerings to, to, the, to the Buddha, to the God. And there was one little angel, you know the story? This is called the story of the little angel. <laughs> the angel has trouble making offerings. Like those big angels. But this little angel had some little offering. I forgot what it was. Anybody know what that little offering was? Could have been, you know, a grape. Or a blade of grass. Or a little love note. Anyway, some little kind of small thing that a small person could carry over and offer. But the person was embarrassed because it was so little. So insignificant. They were feeling embarrassed and ashamed. Ashamed. They had this tiny little thing to give. <laughs> but Big Angel said, Give it. <laughs> and, and the little angel gave it, feeling embarrassed and ashamed how little it was compared to the big angels who could give, like, with no, completely relaxed, natural, not awkward. <laughs> Just like... And when, and, when, and when Buddha received that tiny little gift from this embarrassed little Bodhisattva angel, 
God was filled with joy. And everyone was filled with joy. It was such a wonderful practice. So we have our little gifts to give, and our little concrete gifts to give. Little me, little Drew, <laughs> little Tim, crummy, below average rib. <laughs> That's what I have to give. And, you're, and I've been giving it all morning and all week, and I'll continue. And so will you. But part of what you'll be giving is like unnatural, ashamed, whatever. Just like, you're like the little angel, and so am I. It's just that I have a lot of confidence in little angels, like you. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have so much confidence. But I, I want to help you, but I don't know how I'm going to help you have a lot of confidence being you and making you a gift and homage to Buddhas. I don't know how I'm going to help you, but all I am, nothing but helping you to be a Bodhisattva. And I don't know how. And I'm going to continue to do what, to do what I don't know how. And you're going to continue to be helped. And I don't know how. And you don't know how either. But here we are, intimately communicating. And you're too far away for me to do high five. <laughs> oh, now you're too <laughs> okay. I'm getting close to the bewitching hour. We're, get, we're getting close to the eleventh hour. <laughs> Woohoo! Thanks, <laughs> Zach. <laughs> Matt. So if you talk over there, I'll have more trouble hearing you than if you go over there. Coming up. Daniel. You changed your name to Daniel. <laughs> Yeah, that's really The Dalai Lama has never expressed any hatred towards the Chinese. Always has never Did you say the Dalai Lama has never expressed any hatred? Yeah, to the Chinese. Or to the Chinese. So he's only had compassion for the Well, as far as we know. <laughs> he has many times demonstrated compassion to the Chinese, yes. But he might have had in his mind some difficulty giving unwholehearted gifts to the Chinese that might have arisen in him concretely. And then he practices with that. He's, if, if he had a, a less than wholehearted, generous feeling towards the Chinese, he's trained to practice compassion towards his lack of generosity. I'm not saying he did have such a thought, but I'm pretty sure he did. <laughs> when they were disrespectful of him, when they tried to control him and maybe kill him, I think he felt a little uncomfortable. <laughs> and uh, 
I don't think it was just the other people that thought he should leave Tibet. I think he thought, yeah, maybe I should go. These people want to kill me or put me in prison. Hey, let's go to India. And maybe he thought, this is a lot of work. Why, why don't you just let me, you know, they're not being very kind to me. And, you know, he might have thought that. And he might have felt uncomfortable. But he's trained to practice compassion towards his own discomfort and towards those who might be making him uncomfortable and those who are being, being un unkind to his friends. He might have had painful feelings and, I don't know, hatred, but he might have had hatred. I don't know. But I do have confidence that he has confidence to practice compassion with hatred. Compassion towards those who hate me and practice compassion that I have hatred towards those who hate me. He's good at showing how to practice compassion with all concrete situations, including hatred. Inward hatred towards self, hatred towards other. Now, I I apologize if I short-circuited what you wanted to say. <laughs> Did I? No. Yeah. You want to see, see if you have more to say about the Dalai Lama? There was, um, I don't know if this is true, but they, they tortured a lot of the Lamas that were into that. Did you say tortured? Yeah. Yeah. And they yeah. might be still torturing. And they're also, uh, they might be. And I've heard they're torturing Uyghur people, Muslims. In, in Xinjiang. So it looks like this government is being cruel to precious sentient beings. And do we want to help that government wake up and stop being cruel? How can we help? Pardon? How can we help? Yeah, how can we help? What have I been saying? If you practice compassion towards any just unkindness in your own mind, the way you practice compassion towards any uh, concrete thing like unkindness in your mind, the way you do that is the same way you're helping other people do it. How does that work? I don't know. But I want the Chinese people to be kind to the Chinese people, don't you? And the way I do that is by being kind to the people I meet and the person I am. That's the way I do it. And that's the only way I can do it, is to practice compassion towards everybody I meet and everybody I think of. That's the only way I can help other people learn that. But, yeah, but I can also even fail at that practice, and then other people can be benefited by that by seeing how unfortunate it is when I don't practice compassion. So all the time I am helping be, be all beings, but I don't know how it works. But I'm pretty confident that I have the responsibility to practice compassion towards every moment of my life, everything I feel, everything I, and everybody I meet.
And I think that's how the Dalai Lama practices too. The Dalai Lama is in India, and the Dalai Lama is in the United States. Dalai Lama is practicing compassion with whoever he meets, and he's also practicing compassion towards himself. And that's how he helps the people in China. Both the people who are being treated cruelly and the people who are being cruel. That's how he practices. That's how bodhisattvas practice. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, so now it's time to adjourn, right? We could. Hmm? We could. Or I thought it was scheduled to stop at 11. True. <laughs> Can be revised. It can be revised. <laughs> okay. Uh, who's the, who's who does the revisions around here? <laughs> I suggest we revise it and we go on. Go on. Okay. Are there any other offerings? Yes. The schedule has been revised. <laughs> What time is the visitor coming? Uh, pretty soon. We're waiting, on, <coughs> waiting on the porch. Okay. So I have a story. Okay. And you're in the story. Lou and his story about me? Well, you're part of this well, I'm story. I'm part of the story. Yes. I'm in the story. Yes. Okay, here we go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yasan, as many of you know, had a, at the beginning, had a problem with the forms. And he came to you. Yazan, this, this, this wonderful person named Yazan, had a problem with Zen forms. Yes. With the forms, the traditional forms of Zen practice. Yes, sir. Oh, how sad. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Especially with Yazan. Okay. And Yazan came to meet. And came to meet with you, uh -huh. and um, you gave him an instruction. I did. You did. <laughs> you told him that he needed to do 10,000 prostrations. <laughs> and Yasan, over the next year, had, he carried a little, um, a little thing around with him, a little uh, notebook around with him, and he would mark down all of the prostrations. He would get up in the morning and he would do prostrations, and he would do prostrations in the afternoon, and he would do prostrations in the evening, until he did 9,997. <laughs> he saved three for he later? He saved three for you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I thought that that story was about Yazan having problems with the forms, but it's not. It's about him learning to pay homage. And then thank you. And did he, did he save those three and then come and give them to me at yes, some point? He did. <laughs> so that's a story. Yes. That's a good one. And I don't know how that happened. 
Rick. I can't really get up front. Would you bring Rick the microphone? Well, maybe crawling is... As Mary Oliver says, you don't have to crawl on your knees. <laughs> Can you turn it on, Rick? It's not on right now. Can you turn it on? Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. 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 I said something to my roommate Warren, uh, whispered a little while ago, but I, I want to um, public, make a public testimony now. You're saying that you don't know how you help people. You started something here many years ago that's changed my life, or you are the changing of my life. Also, as and uh, to the Extent, or if that, if that is an example of what you mean by intimate transmission, then homage to all groups. Do we feel complete? Yes. Tension Roshi, this center is the result of the efforts of many people. Uh, people who came before our group came into its stewardship. And uh, now, many people as it's in our stewardship. And I would just like to offer my homage to the many bodhisattvas and mahasattvas and Buddhas who do the work on this retreat center and on our temple. Our abbot convenes a meeting just about every single Monday evening around 5.30. And uh, it's called the thought group. It's not much of a thought group. It's more of a do group. <laughs> People uh, in this room are are on the group, Reverend Royce, Artenzo. I am in this group, but I can tell you that my work in the group is not worthy of the others in the group. And uh, I feel often that's the case when I come to Seshin, that, that my practice and my work isn't worthy of those who work on my behalf. And I'll keep trying, trying to do better. But I think everyone in the room knows and feels the enormous gratitude that we each individually have as a group to the many, many people who make Sashin possible. So I say homage to all of those 
Buddhas. Thank you for your paying homage to all Buddhas. And if I may make a little comment on what he said, he said he, he, said he didn't feel worthy. Yes. Yeah. He didn't feel worthy. Um, in our meal chat, we say something like, we consider, let us consider whether we are worthy of this offering. So, one can think one is not worthy. One can think one is worthy. But whether you think you're worthy or not think you're not worthy, it's good to consider if you're worthy. Regardless of what you think about yourself, think about whether you're worthy. And be open to the possibility that you are. But how you are, nobody knows. And it's okay to have opinions. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm worthy of all the kindness. And some people might say, you aren't. <laughs> you're wondering, but I can tell you, you're not worthy. Of <laughs> There's much more kindness coming towards you than than from you. And if I hear that, I listen to that. But I, I and I don't know if, if I'm giving as much compassion as I'm receiving. I, I, I do feel, I do think I'm receiving infinite compassion. I do, that's my practice, is that I believe I'm receiving infinite kindness. But still I wonder, I wonder, am I returning such a great gift? I wonder. But even in, in, in this wondering, and I don't know if, if the accounts are balanced, I don't know. In that wondering, I want to give as much kindness as I receive. That's my situation. That's what I want. And if I ever felt like I wasn't receiving any kindness, I want to give great kindness on that occasion too. But most of the time I feel like, wow, Joy, am I worthy of this? I want to be, but I don't know. At, um, there's a tradition which I heard about and which I started to practice of um, at New Year's, uh, students um, write a little message to their teacher, wishing the teacher good health and happiness in the coming year, and asking the teacher to teach another year. So quite a few years ago, I told some students who I work closely with about this practice, and they started to write little notes like that to me. 
And to say little notes is kind of an understatement. They write beautiful calligraphed messages saying basically that, wishing you good health and happiness, and please teach for another year. And so we've been doing that practice for about almost 40 years. I guess 37 years we've been doing that practice. I've been receiving this, these, these, these pieces of paper which are so moving. And I think, God, how can I live up to this kindness and this request? I must admit that sometimes I think we should stop this because this is too much. This is too much is being asked of me, too much has been given to me. I can't stand the responsibility. But that would be really hard for people not to be have an opportunity to make this great, this great loving offering. And um, about 10 years ago, a lay person said, is there some formal way to uh, express the relationship between student and teacher? And I said, well, there is a ceremony where at New Year's, priests go to their teacher and make, write this statement out and give it to the teacher. I guess we could have lay people do that too. So the, the lay people started to do it. So there's even more. So, I, so at New Year's, I received all these expressions of compassion, and it really is awesome and tremendous. And yeah, and humbling. It's humbling to receive all that love. But I guess I'll keep making myself available to be humiliated <laughs> as long as I can. And then also, when we meet uh, in person, the people say, in person, they said, please teach another year. And I say, okay, it would be my honor to do so. <laughs> <laughs>